Talk to us a little bit about your early days, you know, where you grew up, what life was like for young Ross. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm uh, <clears throat> a little bit far from home right now, but I grew up in a beautiful place called Glasgow in Scotland. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but um, it rains about 222 days of the year. So look, looking outside the window right now in LA, I feel very fortunate to, to be to be where I am. But, um, you know, grew up in Scotland, grew up in Glasgow, um, spent probably more time on the tennis court than I did actually in school, much to my mother's dismay. But, um, you know, it was very much the catalyst for what I do today. But, you know, was very infatuated with tennis and sport and performance and kind of, um, you know, for the best part of 16 years, it was actually my goal to really take that and make that a career. But, um, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Florence playing tennis at um, a tennis school there and um, really became obsessed, you know, in, in, in regards to, you know, human performance and you are what you eat, that sort of saying. And um, that was kind of the, the early, uh, early journey into, you know, where, where we are today, but uh, I'll maybe leave that for a little bit, for a little bit later. Yeah. Did you, did you sort of like fall into tennis and like, who are you inspired by most? You know, I was fortunate enough to play, um, get coached by a lady called Judy Murray. Um, her son was a, uh, a boy, a very successful world. Number one, at a certain, certain time in the last few years. Are you talking about Andy Murray's mom? Andy Murray's mom, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wasn't the best tennis player, but uh, I certainly had the grit and determination to show up every other week, every other day, or wherever it may be, to play in the rain or indoors. And, um, yeah, I was very lucky. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was in my family. My dad enjoyed racket sports. But um, I, uh, you know, I stopped playing around the age of 16, 17 after suffering a pretty bad injury. And I haven't really picked up a racket since very much. So, um, yeah, I played enough for most most lifetimes. Yeah. Was there, was there anything else, uh, maybe you were into as a kid that, you know, you thought if tennis doesn't work out, maybe I'll go down this path or, or not really? You know, it's an interesting question. I always grappled with between, um, this idea of like, you know, I've been an entrepreneur from a very young age. It's funny, but my dad had a business growing up. So I've always been around kind of the idea of entrepreneurialism, you know, the ebb and flow, the ups and downs, starting something from nothing. Um, I was the kind of kid who took his lunch, um from his you know from his house and sold it in the playground you know i i know my mom had made me a really nice lunch on a monday and i was like you know what i'm gonna sell it on you know sell it to whoever i can or, or tell her we had a field trip or a school trip so she gave me extra food and i would sell it so this idea of always i don't want to say the word hustling but always being very entrepreneurial from a young age and maybe that was because i was surrounded by an entrepreneurial father um, but yeah, absolutely. I guess, you know, not specific to sport there, but business has been something that has kind of been ingrained in me from a young age. And oftentimes folks who are like that are maybe driven or motivated by something, maybe perhaps it's money or just the feeling and thrill of it. Um, or, you know, like, was there anything in particular that kind of drew you to that, like the entrepreneurial kind of endeavors? You know, I think just the idea of just operating as if you own everything, you know, this is sort of um ability to watch my father um control his own destiny or you know this idea of being a driver or passenger there really there was no there was no boundaries in our in our family so i think the the ability to to watch someone kind of control you know maybe the hours they worked or 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 the amount of impact they were creating the people they were hiring watching when someone shape culture i've always been uh, I don't want to say the word, you know, controlling, but inspired by one that could, um, you know, sh steer the ship. 
um, per se. So I think that was kind of what fueled me, I guess, from a younger age, just the ability to kind of not do what I wanted, but actually take control of, of my life a little bit more. So you talk about getting injured uh, around age of 16, 17. I assume for somebody that had grown up playing tennis and, you know, probably, I assume, hoping to go professional or semi-professional, what did it feel like that to not be able to continue on that path? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's been a while now. You know, I'm, I'm 31 next week. I'll be, you know, I think I stopped playing at 16, so I can't quite remember the exact feeling, but I think, you know, um, I think it was the next day, the day after kind of coming to realization that, you know, at 16, 17, that's the kind of the age where one decides to go, you know, commit 120% or, or not, you know, there's no half, there's no half asking anything in professional sport or trying to become professional. So, um, after suffering that bad injury, I actually just became very, um, inquisitive around learning about, you know, recovery rates, you know, my life for such a long time had been about go, 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 go get told what to eat. This is the healthiest protein in the world. Eat every two hours. And I actually took a step back after suffering the injury and saying, you know, how's this been right for me? Look where I am now. I'm maybe not feeling my best suffering a bad injury. And, um, if that had been the case, maybe I had, you know, done something wrong along that journey. So it became very inquisitive around learning more about health, perhaps going a different journey. And, and that journey obviously was learning about the benefits of the plant kingdom and plant-based. And obviously that's led us to where we are today. Yeah. And what were you doing? You were just like kind of seeking out like different kind of, you know, things online or like research or things like that, or uh, like what was kind of the process for you? It was literally Google how to recover from an injury. Um, page, <laughs> page, page 27, 28 on Google. I find myself deep in some rabbit hole um, on reducing your meat intake to be beneficial for muscle recovery. I think that's, you know, somewhat of the article. I can't remember today. I should have framed it in the office, but, um, you know, became you know, very interested in learning about, you know, uh, the opposite of what I've been told for such a long time, right? We're told that, you know, eat, eat your meat, recover, get big, get strong. This idea, especially within male culture, you know, men and meat and muscle. Um, and actually, you know, found a lot of, data to show that actually reducing your meat intake could in fact be beneficial for inflammation recovery and and body composition so it was a monday and a tuesday i said okay enough's enough i'm not eating any more animal protein yeah not touching dairy i'm not eating chicken and everyone laughed at me what a what a crazy guy so obscure he'll he'll be he'll be back around to it in a couple hours but you know it's been uh, you know the best part of 15 16 years now you know how are you going about so i think there's so much information around this that and there's so much contradictory information too like people who swear by like a a meat diet like the carnivore diet and then some people who swear by like plant-based diets and or uh, not just people but like companies people thought leaders what have you authors whoever kind of does like any research in this area and and so how did you kind of go about making sure that you were getting down to like the truth of it all right like kind of verifying that whatever you were reading and whatever you were kind of coming across was was actual actually what it was as opposed to you know one person's opinion for example yeah you know the thing about health and that's where it all started for me you know um it's a very opinion-based sport right one might find that a you know carnivorous diet or a keto diet or high carb low fat high fat low carb you know there's a ton of diets out there that you know, are deemed to be the healthiest in the world. Um, 
the one thing is true is that chicken is definitely deemed to be the healthiest protein in the world, right? We, we eat it at a vast rate, it's growing, you know, 15% plus a year. It's the most popular protein in the world. But, um, you know, for me, stepping into a plant-based diet, I instantaneously felt better. You know, as cliche as it sounds, I felt better. I moved better. Again, the catalyst was an injury. So I had recovered faster. I started to feel better. I was walking, running much faster than I was told I was meant to. So the instant catalyst was just feeling better. And at the end of the day, we still live in a selfish world where we do what's right for us, right? We want to eat good, to feel good, to look good and enjoy that experience. And I was enjoying the experience. It was never about, am I getting enough protein? Am I you know, am I, you know, creating change in a, in a sustainable world? Am I affecting animal welfare? No, at the beginning, it was really just about, you know what, this is making me feel better. And, um, you know, of course, I stepped into the category as a consumer and started to eat more plant-based meat options. And that's where this intersection happened, where I said to myself, well, is this really better? You know, these products are 40, 50 ingredients, and maybe I need to look at going back to an animal-based diet. But, you know, quite frankly, I didn't. So, I think to answer your question, you know, um, for me, it was purely about how I felt. Uh, you know, yeah. I felt better. And, and, a dec- was it. and a decade or so ago, you know, when you're kind of coming into this realization and, and kind of trying these things out and feeling better, what were the options? Like what, what kind of plant-based sort of options were you going for? Were there a lot of brands doing it? I can't imagine it was as much as, you know, it is today. No, it's certainly not LA 2022 where you can get a plant-based meat option beautifully cooked from just about every restaurant in um, in the nearby area but yeah. you know scotland um you know for those that don't know we built a massive export business on scotch beef and scotch salmon as well as a, a drink called whiskey so um it was very obscure you know there was a a few soy corn products there was obviously the mashed you know bean burgers here and again here and again that had been cooked from frozen that are relatively unappetizing and taking a step back, you know, food is about experience. You know, you don't want to sacrifice given your food choices. So I struggled a lot in the beginning. Um, it taught me to, you know, certainly be better in the kitchen, having to make a lot more of my own meals. But there was certainly a moment where I said, listen, this was all about health. Um, and when I was eating the products in the retailer and cooking them at home, I started to feel that potentially there was a compromise uh, and I didn't feel better anymore. I was eating products and I was turning to the back of the packaging as we do within beauty, within healthcare, within cosmetics, food, drinks, whatever you, you know, whatever you consume as a, as a consumer and realizing that there was a, there was a sacrifice on health. There was a long list of ingredients. There was products that quite frankly, I had no idea what they were made of. And again, said to myself, is this really it? Is this the best, you know, I chose to go down this path. Something needs to change. Ross, obviously you chose this lifestyle, you know, for yourself, but, you know, you're still like, you know, in the high school years at this time, I assume, you know, did you think that this would be a career? And at that moment in time, kind of walk us through, um, you know, what you did. Did you go to college? Did you just pursue some sort of business? Like, give us some idea of what was going on in your personal life there. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I mean, I certainly didn't think I was going to go and start a company called Daring and um, create plant-based chicken products. It was much more of a, this is a personal lifestyle choice and was very um, inspired and motivated, you know, from telling people about it, you know, not in a sort of activist manner, more just about allowing people to learn more about the plant kingdom, the benefits, you know, I was still performing at sport. I was still training. I was still feeling good. So I would 
often tell people about the diet um, or the lifestyle. But no, I went to college, went to college in Scotland. Um, I lasted um, the best part of a year uh, and, and, and a few months um, and actually left college again. Um, you know, to take a step back, what we touched on in the first few minutes here was just this idea of being an, you know, an entrepreneurial journey was definitely the path for me. And I hadn't quite clicked for me that I would combine my passion for plant-based uh, and my you know, belief in the future of food being plant-based and my business uh, motivation. I actually went on a few other journeys, started a you know, pet project, clothing business, and a few other you know, very, very smaller, smaller S companies, really just one-man bands. But um, it really taught me a lot about you know, starting a business and contract manufacturing and selling and marketing and finance. And um, that was sort of between the ages of 21 to 22, 23. And um, you know, I took a step back and um, sort of late, late. I must have been you know five or six years ago and started to you know understand a bit more about my real passion, which was daring and plant-based meat. So, had a few processes and journeys, but nothing quite like today. Ross, what was that moment in that first year of college that you said, "This is not for me. Fuck this shit." <laughs> um because you definitely had a fuck this shit moment i could just tell you were just standing there and you said i'm fucking done you know i i actually did, did have a, a moment exactly like this i remember <laughs> sitting two rows in the bag watching this you know it was a he was a great lecturer but you know we just didn't see the world the same i closed my laptop called my dad and called my mom my mom had a few uh, swear words at me and said you better get back to class this is a moment and you know, I took took got in my car, drove home, and tried to explain to them. But there was definitely a moment like that, you know, much like my journey of going plant based. It was a switch. It was cold turkey, forgive the pun. And you know, I felt a massive weight and a massive burden off my shoulders walking out of that classroom that day. And you know, obviously, um, you know, had some regrets potentially, but there was no moment of this is something that I enjoy or this is something I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I didn't feel I had the, the opportunity to sit there and figure it out. Did you have, I mean, you know, even though school wasn't right for you, did you have a mentality of like wanting to continuously learn and build skills? And like, how were you doing that? I mean, was it purely just by starting these businesses and kind of going through the experience or were, were there other resources or like people or books or things that you would like turn to, to like learn about things? You know, it's interesting. I'm. I, I think I've probably read about three books in my life. I, I'm not one of the, the the kind of guys who will pick up a you know book and say, "Oh, I got to learn um, about how someone did this or how to hire." I and it's funny we're on a podcast, but I would probably listen to two, three podcasts a day. Yeah, listening to someone's journey, listening to someone's story, picking up on things. Um, these real the real life struggles or real life stories where they took an idea and they built something and they failed and they they went down that path and I was like oh it was super motivational again combine that with an entrepreneurial father who again was there to listen and hear me vent and share my ideas and my vision for whatever it might be at that time but um, it was actually it was hard because you know at the time you know again growing up in Glasgow in Scotland it's a you know, the average income is $22,000. <laughs> the ceiling is very low. Um, starting something and wanting to start something that was bigger than any of us was very obscure. So uh, I was definitely a little bit of an outcast. Was there anyone like a business leader or person or founder that you were like really very, very much inspired by their story early on that you kind of like 
consumed content about them or just wanted to learn more about them and it helped sort of steer you towards kind of your kind of companies and building companies? I think more so brands. You know, I was I, I watched the you know the evolution of a lot of the D2C brands, even though we're not a direct consumer brand or ourselves. Um, you know, Casper and Harry's and Allbirds and these kind of companies, you know, really doing doing more than selling a product, right? The world doesn't need more products. The world needs change. And, and I think I was inspired by companies like Allbirds and Joy, what they did where they were, you know, crossing this intersection by great product, great impact. And I think that was something that I felt and saw the longevity in and um, no individuals per se, but definitely inspired by certain brands, how they, you know, how they brought great innovation to market with huge impact. So what did you do when you dropped out? Um, I drove home, um, realized I needed to, you know, maybe move in with my, with my folks for a little bit and figure, figure shit out. But, um, I, um, I didn't know, I, I can't honestly remember the first few months. I think I sort of, um, did the cliche thing. Okay. Business idea, business plan. What can I do? You know, I knew I want to do something for myself, but I have no idea why. And, um, you know, again, that was where my first kind of idea started. I started a clothing business, started to contract manufacture garments and menswear, and um, it was relatively successful for a few years. Um, and what selling, years are this, uh, Ross? This this would have been, um, you know, this would have been I was about twenty two to twenty four, so eight years ago. Yeah, seven, eight years ago. And with a clothing, um, clothing business, like, were you introducing like something new to the market, or was it kind of just like a branding thing that you had this kind of brand idea that you wanted to build? It was, it was definitely a brand idea. You know, um, there was no, you know, tremendous innovation on the market. It was here's a blank T-shirt. There's, you know, uh, great margins in in selling clothes with a logo, and um, it was never something I wanted to do for a long time, but. Uh, I was always interested in fashion, style, and, and and so on. I had a lot of friends in the industry. So I was like, you know what? Low buyer to entry. This is not that hard, right? You can buy 50 tees. You can print a logo on and you can sell them. But obviously, longevity of a business, you need to keep innovating. You need to do more. Brands do certainly win. But um, with that, you have to be passionate about the industry. So again, I sort of stopped that a few years later. Um, you know, didn't take a loss, but took a tremendous amount of learnings into, you know, uh, what I do today. But I think... Again, you know, at that 100,000 foot, a lot of this came from my sporting background, right? This sort of, I was a tennis player. It was me versus the opponent. Business is not a zero-sum game. I don't believe that. But, you know, there's times when you, you know, of course, want to give up, stop, you're losing. Or there's times when you're acing, coming right out of the center of the racket and everything's going perfectly. But, you know, um, a lot of that sort of parlayed into into business. And I found it just so exciting. You know, I found yeah. it so exciting to talk to people Tell them a business, sell the product, sell the vision. That was where I came alive. You know, I came alive selling, you know, the vision for my business. Yeah. You know, based on like maybe some of the challenges you might have run into with the clothing brand, what were some of your biggest like realizations or takeaways about starting a business? Because, you know, obviously when you kind of start learning a lot and, and realizing the types of businesses that end up becoming successful. And, you know, you, you, you kind of start realizing certain things, like whether something is scalable or, or profitable, like the margins, how big this business can become, uh, how much luck can play a role. Like, just like, were there any specific takeaways from that early business that you started that you kind of took with you? Um, definitely one being just, you know, sheer passion for an industry. You know, I, I'm obsessed. I've been obsessive around 
plant-based industry for oh, plus 10 years. That's why I wake up, I'm excited about it, I want to read about it, I want to learn about it, I want to talk about it, I want to build within that industry. The clothing industry was literally great unique economics, can make some money, um, relatively easy to, to get set up. So I think, you know, we've all heard this quote, but finding your why and finding your passion is certainly something I think is going to be important for anyone who wants to go down that journey of entrepreneurialism because the conflict, the critique, the challenge that comes along with it no matter what it is, if it's capital raising, hiring, selling, you name it, competition comes. When you just love what you do, like genuinely, I see this because I'm extremely passionate about what I do and I live, eat, breathe, plant-based. Um, doesn't really matter because it's, you're meant with what you're meant to do. And I think um, the other thing being just scalable processes, you know, just everything needs to be built that has scalable processes. It can't be a one-off situation. So we think a lot about that, Darren. So, Ross, let's talk about, you know, this passion of yours that obviously has turned into a business uh, called Daring Foods. Uh, from what I recall, um, and, you know, I, I've i been following just CPG for a long time and I love food. So, I'm always just kind of curious about, you know, new products, new industries within the industry. And I recall it was around probably a little over a decade ago, I think, Beyond Meat first in 2009 and then Impossible Foods in 2011, you know, started right like they started those two companies uh respectively and their whole goal was to create plant-based meat which obviously they've done and they still continue to do as somebody who was living that lifestyle um and uh living in scotland was that something that you had followed or heard of or became aware of and started tracking their progress and what was going on or not really yeah, absolutely. 2018 um, was really the the moment where I had started to read a lot about those companies and watch their capital raising process, watch their product innovation, watch them build, you know, what is today great companies um, and have great impact. So I was definitely watching from, you know, uh, several thousand miles away, hundred thousand miles away or wherever it may be um, in Scotland. But um I was um, very inspired by what they were doing. One, on obviously bringing great products to market with great impact, but two, the ability to raise capital and, and build infrastructure. Um, you know, I was in Scotland where I could, I had at the time, 2018, I had some early uh, minimal viable samples and just about no one would take a meeting with me. Uh, I have the next, you know, wave of plant-based chicken. Uh, would you like to take a meeting? Have you watched Impossible and Beyond, you know, scale? Um, no, no, thank you. So I was just so inspired and infatuated between, um, about America and what was capable over here. Uh, at that time I had never been to New York and never been to LA. Um, we hadn't raised any outside capital. It was just a somewhat of a pet project being backed by family and friends who I guess believed in, in me at the time because we had no data to show that it would be successful. So yes, I was definitely tracking, definitely watching, definitely learning. So taking a step back, obviously having a plant-based diet and living this life, it, 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 there's so many different avenues, right? Like you can, you can go. Um, how did you kind of settle on chicken specifically? And, uh, you know, what was kind of the next step to like start formulating it and kind of figuring out how you were going to create this thing and what it was? Yeah. Um, and I'll come at this a couple of different ways. I think it really starts with pretty much like all of us, we were raised on chicken. You know, we... It was a staple in our family meals. It was a standard in school cafeterias. It's been our go-to fast, uh, favorite fast food 
uh, many of our food chains. It's affordable. It's delicious. It's absolutely everywhere. You know, it's deemed to be the healthiest protein in the world. It was the protein I consumed a lot of playing tennis. We didn't eat a lot of red meat. We ate a lot of lean animal protein, high protein, low carb, low fat. And I looked at the industry and saw that no one was really talking about it. Um, you know, this idea of I eat less red meat, I eat more chicken and fish, but that's causing drastic impact on that industry and that poultry industry to be specific. So um started to dive into it a little bit more and turns out there's a lot of compromises that have to occur to provide us with that much chicken and i learned obviously about how animals were raised what they eat the amount of animal waste that's generated is simply not sustainable so took that passion of health and started really to learn about the impact we were creating by producing that much animal protein from from poultry and chicken and again watched the competitive landscape and Everyone was focusing on the burger. Everyone was focused on red meat and no one was focused on chicken. Um, so naturally said, well, you know, if I want to create something, maybe I should look where no one else is looking for better or for worse and um, started to innovate on alternative chicken product, which turns oh. out are far harder to create than, than red yeah. meat. So it was more of a macro thing in terms of what the industry was doing as opposed to like on a micro level, the effect that chicken has on an individual and their health. Yeah, I think obviously as, as as I became more educated about poultry, the industry, you're learning about different facets of that animal. Of course, one, the love as we that we have as a nation, as a globe for chicken. It's the most popular protein in the world. We eat it 100 pounds per person per year. It's a plus $85 billion whole, wholesale market. Um, it has a bigger opportunity than chicken, so it's very, than beef. So it's very macro. And of course um diving into chicken more specifically you'll learn about one of course the uh, health issues that are caused by consuming vast amount of animal protein the massive carbon footprint even though again we don't talk about it, the immense toxic runoff also so i think we looked at it from not only uh human health but also environmental health but the the, the fundamental issue that i i saw was no one was talking about it and everyone was focused on red meat and everyone was moving towards chicken but that was causing a lot of issues within the industry. Ross, did you move to the U.S. to start daring? I took a flight, first flight to New York, uh, tail end of 2019. Um, I had 4000 dollars in my bank account, in the company bank account. We had about one and a half pounds of daring plant-based chicken samples. And um, I'd given myself about two weeks to figure the hell, figure this out. One, let's get some retailers or food service customers interested in launching the product. How naive was I at the time? <laughs> and two, let's find some capital. Let's find some people that have believe in the product, believe in the mission, believe in the industry. And I literally pounded doors for two weeks till someone would take a meeting. And I, what is it, the 19th of April, 2022, I haven't been home since. Obviously, COVID has affected that, but... Yeah, that was my parents dropped me off um, late December in 2019 at the airport in Glasgow, <laughs> and probably thought I'll see you in a week. Yeah. Um, and and here, did a plant based at that time? Did any plant based like had anyone uh, even tried to make a plant based chicken, or were you were you guys like one of the first to like actually try it out? Because I, I guess it ties back to like the second part of my last question, which is like, what? How did you know what to start building and creating in terms of the the actual product? products yeah. no one had really done chicken i mean there'd been you know um other companies that had tried it and potentially you know pulled those products just due to consumer feedback or velocity or attractiveness in the market um i had 
you know, just research, you know, um, contract manufacturers with experience with plant-based meat. There was not many of them. So it was very hard to find anyone, but I was fortunate to be introduced to a, a food scientist that had experience with plant-based meat, uh, meat analogs and extrusion, which is the processing technique that, you know, a lot of plant-based meat companies, whether it be dry extrusion or wet extrusion, um, high moisture extrusion, and I was, you know, spent some time with this individual and we started innovating on my idea and were able to bring some bench job samples to to the US to sample to investors and, and customers at the time. So I knew that I had a lot of work to take that bench job to full scale production when I got home, but um, we did so successfully. Were you were you married at the time or, you know, did you come here alone? Or how, how, what was that experience like? Uh, came here alone. Um, I was not married. I am married now. Um, I know. I saw. I saw the ring. That's why I had to just make a general assumption there. Um, no, shout out to my very patient, um, brilliant, uh, better half Anna. Um, but um, actually, I uh, met one of my first weeks in New York. So um, no, at the time it was here on my own. Um, and, uh, it's crazy to think about it. I, I think it was just an, un, un, you were un, knocking on the door for capital and then here comes a future wife. Is that what happened? What happened? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, um, I don't want to embarrass myself or her, but, um, <laughs> we, we met and obviously it clearly went very well. Um, but no, it wasn't while I was knocking on the capital. I think it was while I was crying, crying on a crying in a coffee shop because, uh, I kept hearing no's. Yeah. Um, so when you were, when you were kind of creating the prototype or the initial kind of product that you were going to start sharing with, I'm assuming investors and try to raise capital, what were you optimizing for? Like, was it just to get the kind of the ingredients, right? Was it the taste? Like, was it, I know I'm sure it was all of the above, but like, how did you kind of come up, come about kind of creating the, the sort of perfect formula that you wanted to create? Yeah. Great, great question. I think, you know, again, I touched on kind of my journey into plant-based and what I felt was wrong with it at the time. So, you know, 40, 50 ingredients was not unusual to see on the back of a plant-based product. Carrageen, TiO2, maldodextrin, you name it, we've probably all consumed a burger with 50 ingredients, you know, high levels of sodium and something that quite frankly didn't align with my personal goals. So I was optimizing for health. I was optimizing for the minimal amount of ingredients possible, ingredients that you your son, your daughter, your mom, your cousin, whoever you looked at and told this product, told you about this product, they would understand it. Our company mission is to rethink and replace chicken from the food system. How do we do that? We have to create products that are truly better for you. Um, products that are versatile, products that are clean. So that was what I was optimizing for. I didn't think there was room for another product that only tasted like animal protein or looked like animal protein. It had to be better than animal protein and macronutrients and health um, a lot of it comes down to what is in it, how much protein is in it, how much fat and how many calories. Our, pro our product has 14 grams of protein per, per serving, has more than you know, 50, 60% less ingredients than any other competitive plant-based product and truly, truly is better for, for, for you and the planet. So that's what I was optimizing for. And that drop the mic moment when you look at our product versus someone else, it's really remarkable. Ross, I have a couple of questions about... Um just plant-based and then about ingredients specifically, but something I've always wondered, and I'm glad, you know, uh, you know, we're talking to plant-based founders. We talked to the founder of Oatly um, a few months ago. Uh, and so it's clearly becoming a space that you're seeing a lot more big players in, which means that it's being, you know, used by consumers, which is a great thing. Um, but one thing that I thought about initially, I, I remember I was at Expo West, it's probably six or seven years ago. 
and they had introduced Beyond Meat or Impossible. I don't remember which one it was, and they had this like in and out like you know booth with you know instead of like the palm trees, it was like cows or whatever. So it must have been Beyond Meat, but it was the same aesthetic. Great burger. I had it. Tasted great. But I thought to myself, if I'm someone who's not eating meat, I'm vegan, plant based diet, etc. Why the hell do I need to have a product that resembles and or tastes like meat, right? If I've moved myself away from that, why do I need to be inviting myself into this plant-based product that resembles, tastes like, feels like, and is going to make me remember what meat tastes like? So I just never understood the psychology of it. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are and the overall industry's uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I can't necessarily speak on behalf of the others, but I, I do feel it's similar to ours. Our The opportunity for us to create impact doesn't lie within strictly vegans or vegetarians. It lies within the meat lover, the chicken lover. We talk about the chicken lover. Our campaign out of home, New York, LA, all over the country said, plant chicken for chicken lovers. Um, if you love chicken, you love the taste, the texture, the experience, that's what meat is. It's really a sensory experience, you know? Chicken is a vehicle for sauce. We all have our favorite chicken recipe. It's really the sauce or the seasoning that you enjoy it with. So understanding that, you can replicate that from the plant kingdom. So to answer directly, it's because we're targeting that customer. We're targeting the meat lover. The vegetarians and the vegans, they're the low-hanging fruit. Some might not like it. Some might like it for the impact. Most vegans, most people are vegan for, um, I'm talking strictly vegan, for environmental and planet issues. They're very happy to eat an alternative protein because they're not eating animal-derived protein. Mm -hmm. Chicken lovers, meat lovers, steak lovers, beef lovers, they love the experience. So if you're able to give them the same experience with zero sacrifice on anything, then why would they not switch? Mm -hmm. So that's that's what we're targeting. And is the goal to make, you know, again, speaking specifically to Daring here, I don't want you to speak on behalf of others, but is the goal to make Daring's chicken healthier and better for you than actual chicken? Is that the goal or am I misunderstanding what the goal is? Our, our goal is to completely rethink chicken from, from the food system. So our, our, at the end of the day, we're trying to create plant-based products that are tasty and healthy while solving the negative impacts of an unsustainable industry. So, um, yes, we are, we are benchmarking against chicken. We are of course, benchmarking against taste and texture. Eventually price will be very, very important as we, as we build scale. Um, but our, our mission is to give you absolutely everything you love about chicken, um, but replace it with plant chicken. So Mm. very simple, very simple mission. It's going to take time. We've been launched for two years and one week. Um, which is kind of which is kind of crazy, but um, with that will come obviously a lot of investment into infrastructure and products and team. Yeah, and obviously you know people have been humans have been consuming chicken and meat and all these kind of different things for a long, long time. And so, what do you, what is it going to take? Do you think to it, I mean reshift the shifting consumer behavior from 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 a scale like at scale is obviously so difficult to do and you kind of need like a bunch of players i feel like to do that but in your opinion like what is it going to take to see some real massive shifts towards uh plant-based like meat alternatives yeah it's going to take many things um i think the you know the global plant-based market is set to reach north of 140 billion dollars by 2030 um 
it, it's funny because if you look at the plant-based chicken industry compared to the chicken industry it's a i mean it's not we're not even scratching the surface thing plant-based chicken industry is about 250 million dollar market the chicken industry is a 85 90 billion dollar market 100 billion dollar market so we're not even touching the surfaces we're not even level one yet we have a lot of room to grow but if you look at what dairy you know how dairy was impacted by alternative dairy you know companies like oatly like calafia and many more doing a phenomenal job there's huge scale there and there's huge appetite for this. I mean, the growing the global plant-based industry is clearly growing at I think about 15% a year plus. So what's it going to take? Um, it's going to take a lot of great brands, a lot of great products, a lot of capital is going to have to be invested to build infrastructure and capacity to scale the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of millions of pounds of products that it's going to be needed to service retailers and food service partners across the country and of, of course across the globe. And it's going to take a lot more sustainability sustainability focus on yeah. on, on um, of course the manufacturing techniques. So mm-hmm. um, you know, thankfully, you know, retailers like Walmart, like Sprouts, like Whole Foods have given us an opportunity to put our products there. But we're going to need more shelf space. We're going to need more access to to different aisles, like the fresh aisle. And right yeah. now, obviously, products are in early stages. And yeah, I was going to mention, you know, you mentioned it like accessibility and distribution is obviously a big piece of that and, and giving people kind of the the options and making it super easy for them to decide, yeah, I want to, I want this alternative versus what I've been eating for whatever my whole life. Uh, and so obviously supermarkets and, and retail and, and, and all that are, is one thing. Are you also like looking on the B2B side? Is that something that you guys have explored in terms of um, maybe like not retail, but restaurants or, or things like that? I guess that's B2B. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially, you know, um, I guess it's all B two B. Adidas Daring dot com is is there. It's a small fraction right. of our business. Um, we've ramped up, you know, retail growth. You know, again, launched two years ago. Today, we're north of six and a half thousand doors in retail. National Whole Foods, Sprouts, Walmart, Kroger, Albertsons. We're also on platforms like GoPuff, Fresh Direct, and Perfect Foods. But restaurants is a big focus for us. We're in. Some phenomenal partners. If you know, if you're familiar with Groot Hospitality, David Gritman's restaurants, Komodo, Swan, um, phenomenal partner for us, uh, an investor also in the company. But you know, Just Salad. If you've ever eaten a Just Salad, you can get the daring products there too. So uh, we're in several hundred locations across the country, whether it be you know the One Hotel, Soho House, um, you know, and different restaurants in LA as well, Tacos to Madre, you, you name it, we're on a lot of restaurants and we'll continue to focus on that channel. It was a, it was a massive channel. Obviously it's been affected, you know, in the last couple of years, their plant base has maybe not been a priority for a lot of restaurant owners or chefs just surviving has been the focus. So, um, but you know, the, the veto vote, the veto vote is real. If you don't yeah. have a plant-based option at your restaurant now, whether you're Burger King, your Popeyes, or you're just a local tackle shop down the road, you've got to have options and they've got to be great and they've got to be tasty. And on the product development side, is there like how much room is there for like innovation from this point? Like you have this product that, you know, obviously you have in all these places and stores and restaurants and, and, and do you continue, like, is there a lot still left to innovate on from, from kind of refining on the product and, and introducing new products? Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, the, the, the product portfolio we have today is four SKUs. You know, we have our, our core plant chicken pieces, the original, and we built flavors and we built breading around that product. But in format, of course, the holy grail is the, is the, is the cutlet or the breast. 
Um, 65% of the chicken market, which is about 50-ish billion, is is within that, you know, that within that skew within the fresh aisle and retail or food service. So, you know, we're not even we're not there yet. Um, but of course, different flavors, different formats, different um, different applications. There's a lot of room to grow within chicken, um, just in you know, just in one or two channels. Um, so, um, without that, that's our focus. We're, we're very much focused on being the leading plant-based chicken company. Yeah, you mentioned Ross, you were. Oh, sorry. No, no, go, no, go so ahead. one of the things, just to kind of go off of the product development side, Ross. Uh, and by the way, thank you to your team that had sent uh, us. I think every single flavor um, <laughs> at one point. So I baked it, tried it out. It was great. But the one thing I realized and wanted to, you know, talk to you about, and I feel like this is something that I see across several different plant-based products, was that you know, despite the fact that there are less ingredients, there was a higher amount of sodium in uh in the products uh, and again across a lot of different plant-based products that i've seen what is the reason for that and is that something that you see eventually kind of shifting towards a lower percentage of sodium uh because i know a lot of people that have let's call it blood pressure issues or other issues where sodium plays a role that may not be as healthy for them uh, to consume a higher sodium uh, product yeah that, you know definitely one of the Along with the many pros, or some cons, and you know, I think roughly only about four-ish percent of plant-based meats were lower in sodium than their meat equivalent. Yep. So it's it's definitely something that you know us, along with many others, are probably very focused on. It's mm-hmm. part of the manufacturing technique. It's part of this protein that we use to isolate protein. So, um, of course, health being the issue, you know, the number one focus for us. It's definitely um something that we're constantly innovating on it requires of course our ingredient suppliers to be innovating also um but you know you'll see um some products come to market over the next you know course that will be of course very lower uh, much lower in, in sodium and hopefully um you know tackle that hurdle yeah you mentioned that at the time you were like trying to raise money you, you know you're hearing a lot of no's crying in coffee shops all that good stuff how did you start kind of finding the right investors and uh kind of r- really raising the the right amount of money that you needed to to really get this thing going yeah i was fortunate enough to be introduced to our first investor um right at the beginning of, of january um 2020 so right before launch um it was more of a, you should meet my friend who has some extra capital and he likes the space. It was an angel check. Um, fast forward two years, we've, we've raised, you know, just north of $125 million. Um, Mavron. Yeah, it's definitely been a little bit macro, but our growth has also been somewhat crazy, you know, okay. both in, in, in scale distribution and velocities and performance and team, of course. But um, Mavron uh, led our Series A in September 2020. And then um d1 capital led our series b um along with some you know interesting exciting investors like drake and um a few others um in uh, may of 2021 and then just a few months later actually uh, very fortunate that i met a gentleman called peter teal and he you know believed in hopefully me and the mission and the product and invested our a run through his company founders fund so you know, I think when you look at what it's going to take to win, it's going to take capital. Big goals, you know, sometimes require a lot of capital. Yeah. And um, when you're building infrastructure and you're, and of course, growing very, very quickly with a long-term outlook on the business plan, um, you know, you have to be capitalized. In today's environment, it's a little bit, you know, harder to raise capital and the cost of capital has gone up. So we're very fortunate that we're in a position really now just to get our head down and build. 
just yeah. build a great business. But early on when you were hearing all those no's, like, was it just a matter of staying consistent and just like really just getting it out there as much as possible? Or were there other things that you felt that you needed to like work on or improve on? It could have, maybe it wasn't the product, maybe sometimes it's like the pitch or like kind of refining that or, or different things that you realize like, Oh, I need to work on this or I need to work on that based on the feedback that you're getting. Or was it just a matter of, I just need to keep putting this out there until I find someone that believes in it. A little bit of both. I think, you know, as a, as a founder, as an event, you know, a CEO, anyone actually, you, you have to be malleable. You have to be, you know, taking advice, taking critique, but I'm not going to sit around waiting for the lights to go on. If someone doesn't get it, no problem. Absolutely no problem. Those who believe in it before it's obvious are the investors that really matter. You know, I think if you look at investors who are investing in companies pre a billion dollar valuation, there's not that many of them, right? You know, Mavron and believed in me and the business before it was obvious. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, nearly every single time, if you ask any of these investors or these VC firms, they're betting on great product, big lane, but the team and the founder. Right. So um, you, you can't shy away from who you are. You just have to find the right match. You know, it's pretty crazy. Then the reason I keep using the word crazy is because, I mean, you really launched this business like two years ago or a little over two years ago when it's seen pretty tremendous growth. I was reading somewhere it was like over 900% growth in the last year or so. Um, and it was all during a pandemic. I mean, <laughs> how the hell did you start and grow and fund a company during the pandemic without losing all the hair on your head because I lost it and I don't even run a company. Um, maybe it's to do with my wife. We talked about keeping me calm. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, competitive nature. I, I don't know. I, um, I'm a big fan of a, one of the few books I've read called Amp It Up. Um, they talk about velocity, 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 you know, within hiring sales products, this flusters a lot of people. Uh, but I, I thrive in it. Um, you know, there was really no plan B for me. So um, just had to make sure I was surrounded by the right people. And, and of course, um, started to build the right scalable processes that we talked about. But um, I, um, there was really no, there was no plan B. I just had to, I had to, I had to make it work. So um, just put a lot of time, a lot of effort and, and did the work. And I guess it was a lot of luck for those that I was, you know, I met along my journey over the last couple of years. Isn't that exhausting? I mean, like, you know, you, you, you Pat and I have talked, I don't know, 215, 220 plus founders at this point. And, you know, a lot of them built their companies over, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and have reached a level of success. And I know daring is nowhere near where you want it to be and nowhere near it will be. But it just feels like these two years, again, with the pandemic and the level of growth and the capital raising, et cetera, are beyond exhausting. How do you as a founder, you know, deal with that? How, you know, is there something that you do that makes you, you know, some sort of a superhuman that allows you to stay, you know, relatively calm, cool, collected, stress-free? Um, in my, in my, um, personal life outside of work, I'm very into, um, in keeping fit and healthy, you know, uh, ice baths and breath work and meditation. Um, but stress-free that doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, there's the no BS answer. Um, no, it's very stressful. It's when you're 
building something at scale this fast, 900 plus percent a year, you're dealing with raising a ton of money, more money than you could even imagine, hiring more people than you could even have thought you'd hire. It's very stressful. There's the there's the non-political answer because hell it's fucking hard. Yeah. Um, you know, on that topic, we talked a little bit, we talked a little bit about like, you know, learning from, you know, a little bit from books, but like a lot from like podcasts or just like hearing people's stories and, and kind of, kind of taking what sticks and, and applying it to you and your business, but kind of being at, at this level that you're at with raising all this money and all these, you know, building this company, having to employ, you know, a, a lot of people. Uh, what are some things that maybe you've learned or, or realized or seen that, you know, you couldn't have maybe picked up from like a book or uh, a podcast or something like that, that you just had to kind of learn from sheer experience? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things, you know, I think um, this idea, we, we talk a lot about daring, you know, just being fast course correctors. Um, why can we do what others can do? Because we're super nimble. We're like big on vision, nimble on tactics. We're, we call it out if things not working, right? We rip the bandaid off. That's like how I like to lead the organization. I think, you know, um, I talked a little bit about this idea of operating if you own everything, because you really do in the beginning, you're spinning so many plates, <laughs> you know, eventually you get to hire people and you pass those plates off and you spin less plates and you make less decisions. But no one really cares what your title is. You care about what you bring to the table and what your influence is. So I think hiring has been a massive part of my learning process. Hire people. We've hired people that quite frankly, for our stage of company, we should never have been able to hire people that are just absolute rock stars. Um, in fact, everyone on my team is of course, but um it's been a really exciting and i think my job is just to make people feel 15 feet tall um and like they can do anything so um you know hopefully that answers your question but um yeah yeah no it definitely does because i you know I, i'm sure there's so much that you kind of learn and pick up where you're like shit i didn't read this in a book or i didn't hear this in oh, someone's story. <laughs> crazy and i think you know at the end of the day there's very little daylight between me and the mission um, I, I, I definitely see like, you know, I am on, on a mission and, um, we're very focused on winning. And, um, I think it's hard for entrepreneurs because you go through this stage where you're very much responsible for being polite and pleasing everyone and making a ton of friends, but that's hard. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when you started this company, you were here on a mission and not here to please everyone. And in the beginning, when you're selling the vision and you're trying to get investment, you're really just trying to please people. As you start to grow your business and you leave level one, you get to level two, you realize that that's just not possible anymore. So I think no one really talks about that. When need is need and want is want. When you need everyone, you're nice to everyone. You know, you're nice to every investor. You pick up every call, you email everyone back, you take every opportunity you can. But as you grow, you realize it's not scalable and there shouldn't be very little, if not no light, no fracture between the entrepreneur and his, his mission. Yeah, 100%. I think that's amazing insight. Well, Ro you know, Ross, can't thank you enough for, you know, hanging out with us and, and just sharing your story and, and kind of everything that you've learned uh, along the way. And I know it's, it's just been a couple of years, but it's incredible to, like Posh said, to see the growth and, uh, you know, hopefully wishing you all the best from here and, and continued growth and success and, you know, hopefully taking daring to, to the heights that you want to take it. And, and we're excited to, to kind of you know, follow along for the ride. And uh, hopefully we can hang out some sometime soon in person since we're all in LA. Absolutely. Love that. Thanks for having me guys. Thank Thanks, you, Ross. Ross.